Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer. This is a bonus episode brought to you by our investigative platform Noteworthy, where we carry out journalistic projects based on ideas sent to us by the public. I'm Susan Daly, and in the past week we published a comprehensive report on the chaotic state of eating disorder services in Ireland. Our reporter Maria Delaney heard from people living with eating disorders that accessing treatment was, at best, something of a lottery, at its worst, reserved for people only at the most severe point of illness. As with much of our health system, there are geographical gaps in provision, under-resourcing, and of the funds allocated, not all are being used. Would-be patients and their families are paying for services privately, when they can afford to, but for many, Distress and despair is the overriding experience of seeking help. Today I am joined by Maria to explain her findings, and in this episode we will feature the voices of a number of people who spoke to her about their experiences. While there is nothing graphic in this content, we do caution that discussion of this issue may be upsetting to some listeners. Maria, eating disorders are more prevalent in Ireland than perhaps we might think, and those who have them are impacted on several levels. Yes, Susan, eating disorders impact people both physically and emotionally, and they're very complex and affect people's behaviours, especially around eating and exercise, as well as their thoughts, which can become distorted. And they have the highest mortality and morbidity of all mental health disorders and affect a relatively young section of the population. And unfortunately, their incidence has increased substantially since the start of the pandemic, and this continues to rise. Irish figures just released show that there's twice as many assessments and inpatient admissions last year by the specialist teams in place compared to 2020. Now, the main thing to understand, and this is according to Bodywise, who are the Eating Disorder Association of Ireland, is that an eating disorder is not primarily about food. It's a destructive coping mechanism. And also people can and do recover. As you say, people can and do recover from eating disorders. Well, what type of treatment is needed for that to happen? So a HSE model of care for eating disorders in Ireland was put together in 2018. And one of its key conclusions was that specialist eating disorder teams are associated with faster recovery, lower costs and lower rates of patient admission. And this was something that was raised again and again during interviews for this investigation, that specialist care is key. But it's been highlighted by news report after news report in recent years that this specialist care is not available in most areas. Yeah, unfortunately, there's a postcode lottery of care at the moment. And to address this, 16 specialist community hubs, so eight for adults and eight for children and adolescents were recommended. And for inpatient care, an extra 20 adult beds are required with eight new beds promised for the new children's hospital. Now, however, four years after the model of care was adopted, just three of these community hubs are operating and none of the extra beds are in place. Now, the latest data from these three teams show that the waiting list for this limited specialist care is growing as around 10% fewer people were assessed and treated within eight weeks last year compared to 2020. And three new teams were also promised this time last year around Eating Disorder Awareness Week by Minister for Mental Health Mary Butler. But none are in place as yet, and the HSE informed me that only 55% of the staff needed for these three new teams have been recruited to date. And with these issues with specialist teams, Maria, a key concern for parents, as well as the younger people that you spoke to, was the transition then from child to adult services. 
This was a major issue and so many people told me of their negative experiences, including relapses. And teenagers are moved out of the child and adolescent mental health services or CAMS at 18. And this coincides with the average age of onset of many eating disorders, including anorexia, bulimia and binge eating disorder. And though children and adolescents are impacted by this lack of services, more are available for under 18s with two community hubs in operation and specialist beds in a number of locations. And when they move into adult services, just one area which covers Dublin and parts of Wicklow has access to either outpatient or inpatient specialist care. Now, one young woman who I spoke to was Sinead O'Loughlin, who doesn't live in this catchment area. And before she turned 18, she had experience of inpatient specialist treatment. She told me what happened when she recently moved to adult services. As I turned 18, I went into the adult services and they basically just said they don't really understand eating disorders. They don't really work with eating disorders. There's nothing they can really do to help with my eating disorder. Um, they didn't have a dietitian or anyone that really knew what they were working with. So I appreciated the honesty of them just saying it straight up because I'd sort of could tell already from my past experiences and places that not many people do have understanding of eating disorders and they are complex to work with. So the adults unit basically referred me on to another inpatient program. But yet again, the waits for the inpatient programs are very long and I'm lucky that I have private healthcare so I can get into the private system which is obviously a quicker admission but if I was to go on the public it would be just a matter of waiting until I was in probably land up in hospital rather than inpatient unit because eating disorders they don't just stop and pause and wait until there's a bed available they keep going until it's until you get worse and worse and worse type of thing um, I've noticed it's very, very based on BMI. I've had professionals also say, well, you're not sick enough to go inpatient there because your BMI isn't low enough. And the whole point about an eating disorder is it's a very competitive type of disorder and it makes you feel as though, well, I'm not sick enough. I have to get sick enough then. If I want, <clears throat> if I want to get the help, then I need to get sick enough I need to lose more weight I need to get worse like it's not as simple as that type of thing. Being told that your BMI isn't low enough for admission that was something you came across a number of times during this investigation Maria. Yeah it was clear that this was a common occurrence from the many conversations I had with people as most told me that their eating disorder was not taken seriously unless their weight was extremely low even though most people with eating disorders aren't actually underweight. And I found this really heartbreaking to hear. And some people I spoke to were very upset about the impact that this has had on their lives. And when I asked the HSC about this, a spokesperson said that there are only three specialist eating disorder beds for adults in Ireland and one specialist community team, which impacts on decision making. And they also referenced training that they are running for healthcare workers. But the impact of this lack of services was really laid out for me by Emma Martin, who told me that she had given up and couldn't see herself getting better as her weight got lower as she waited for treatment. And she finally got an appointment with a dietitian, but soon after had reached the point where an inpatient stay was needed. 
the dietitian had told me um, when I placed appointment that they actually had a bed free because there's only three public beds available for the whole of Ireland. And my initial reaction was like, oh God, like, no, like, I don't want to go in. Like, it just kind of terrified me. And so then I called the service the next day being like, please give me this bed. Like, I, I can't see the point. I can't do this. And it was a Friday I called and the registrar said, we won't be able to guarantee the bed until Monday. And it was the longest weekend of my life. Uh, I kind of, I basically knew if I didn't get this bed, I would do something stupid because I couldn't continue the way I was going and just hating my body that much and wanting to literally become invisible. Now, thank God I got the bed. So I went in with the impression that I'd be in there for like three days or a week max and I'd be sorted. Um, it's weird. It's hard to remember the admission. I think it was just under two months. And the minute I got admitted, I was, I had psychotherapy twice a week. What that says to me, like in my head, the criteria to see the psychotherapist and get this what you need was you needed to be extremely underweight and on the brink of like death. I hope I would never need an inpatient stay again. And I'd know there's a good chance that I wouldn't get it at the point I needed it. So I most likely would get worse before I got it and would have to go through the whole cycle again. I kind of know now that my main priority when I finish college and get a degree is to get private health insurance straight away because there is no help in the public system. I was extremely lucky to get that bed and I don't think I'll ever get a bed again. Emma did eventually get access to one of the three adult eating disorder beds, but others can't access these, I believe. Since only those that fall within the catchment area of St Vincent's University Hospital in Dublin can access these beds at the moment, almost all adults with eating disorders are admitted to general medical or general psychiatric wards if inpatient treatment is needed. Now, some do get HSC funding for private residential treatment, but from the people I spoke to, this is very difficult to get. And Kira Kay, who asked for her surname not to be used, was eventually funded by the HSE for private residential treatment, but it took her 18 months to get this and her health deteriorated significantly within this time. And before she got this funding, she was admitted to a general ward. The, the, the kind of healthy side of me knew that I was really spiralling quite quite a lot. And so I went into a general psychiatric ward here in Dublin and... Obviously, the people who end up in a general psychiatric ward, especially at that time, it was the height of the pandemic, were were very, very ill. And it was was really difficult insofar as I I was quite fearful, I guess. Um, I had patients, uh, waking up with patients kind of roaming around at night. And there was no dedicated sort of eating disorder routine, so... To be frank, I was sort of left alone to eat um, in just a general canteen and um, I guess I was up to my old tricks and I, I, it ended up that I was losing weight in the, in the psychiatric unit. So I ended up leaving, leaving voluntarily. Um, I, I guess it was just, as I said, a kind of a good 
highlight as to where a lot of people with eating disorders kind of end up because they feel like the end of their all their battles around the community and the GP to get into a dedicated unit in Ireland. Very often they they get told, well, if you go into A and E and you present yourself, well, you might get into a general psychiatric unit or you might get referred on to a specialist unit, and it's it, it doesn't feel like the right place for a psychiatric illness like eating disorders, and when I had that sort of experience of a dedicated inpatient unit you realize how how intensive and how specialized the treatment is and how necessary it is for that sort of treatment because otherwise it becomes I guess it kind of facilitates the eating disorder and that you kind of feel like you can get away with an awful lot and I knew I knew I would be losing weight if I stayed there and I guess the whole actual environment was quite chaotic and it certainly wasn't conducive to recovery, let's put it like that. Um, and I guess if that's the sort of general solution to a lot of eating disorders at the moment, um, I, I don't really see how someone's meant to recover in an environment like that. And what about the 20 additional adult beds that were promised? When will they be in place for people like Kira who can't access the existing beds? This isn't clear. So Minister Butler told me that the timeframes for these 20 adult beds are to be identified, but they will be located in St Vincent's as well as North Dublin, Galway, Cork, Limerick and Kilkenny. In the meantime, some people do have good outcomes in general psychiatric care, but often have to be extremely sick even to be admitted to that type of treatment, as is the case of Daniela Russell, whose eating disorder relapsed during COVID. She told me that she was left isolated with her eating disorder during this time, with therapy moving to over the phone and college moving back online. And this led to her needing hospitalisation in a general hospital, followed by a five-month stay in a psychiatric ward. And she is now back in college studying nursing and working as a healthcare assistant. My most recent relapse, um, I was admitted into the general ward, where I spent weeks there trying to stabilise um, my physical health. And then, yeah, I was transferred to the psychiatric ward within that that hospital. I was just very deep into my eating disorder. I'd lost all happiness, joy, um, and I was just left with this void of fear, pain, and, and strict rules of, of eating disorder. And I, I was finding it very hard to see a life without my eating disorder. And I suppose this led me to, you know, giving into them impulsions of the eating disorder and my health deteriorated very quickly, which led to this hospital admission. I was very lucky that the psychiatric unit really changed my life. I began to recover and by listening to the healthcare professionals inside that and, and through therapy, I learned so many strategies and tools that I needed to continue and make that step in my recovery one day at a time. Um, I realized that my life without anorexia couldn't be as dark as the one I was living in with it. And that with my eating disorder, I could possibly have no future at all. You know, as so many know, living with any mental health, but an eating disorder is like living with the devil. And that bullying voice overpowers every rational thought. But having received the care and the support that I needed um, along the way, but I suppose especially so in my most recent admission, 
has allowed me to, to find happiness again. Everyone we've heard from so far has needed inpatient treatment, but is this always necessary to recover from an eating disorder? So every expert I spoke to said that early intervention and community services are key when it comes to recovery. And Dr. Caroline Marr, a consultant psychiatrist working in eating disorder services, told me that community services are crucial as they reduce the amount of beds needed and allow people to leave hospital earlier. And having less people in hospital obviously also makes sense from a cost point of view. However, until the promised 16 community hubs are in place, experts told me that the high demand for inpatient services would continue. And this lack of outpatient care means that people are resorting to funding their own treatment including Daniel O'Boyle, who could not access public services for the outpatient therapy he needed. Eating is something we, we do daily. It's something that we have to do to survive, essentially. So every time you go to eat and it causes you a level of distress that is so overwhelming, that, that wears a person down totally. If you have that every single day on, on, a, on a constant basis, it just wears someone down completely. And at the time, then I thought, well, if this is what my life is like for the rest of my life, well, then I may as well not be here because I'm not living in, in at all. But then it was when I actually started access the recovery and started developing those coping mechanisms. I think that didn't because the, the eating disorder was used essentially as a as a perverse coping mechanism and started developing other coping mechanisms to deal with life stresses generally and started to value myself more and 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 look at what I deserved in life more and realize that I didn't des- I that I deserve a life that has happiness in it every day. I deserve a life that isn't overwhelmed by these food thoughts and, and things like that um, was when I realised that actually life is, def- is is worth living 100%. Um, so that was when I started accessing the treatment was was when I, I started to really come out of that those dark spaces. I had to sacrifice a lot of other things in life, a lot of other you know trips away, stuff like that, in order to be able to actually fund the treatment because I knew that that had to take priority. It's It's a... But financially, yeah, it, it's it, it's very difficult financially. And, you know, if I was earning any less, I wouldn't have been able to afford it. And there's countless people in the country currently that are that are in that position. An eating disorder doesn't discriminate on the basis of someone's financial status or financial class. So services shouldn't discriminate on that basis either. In, in my view, any time wasted with a person suffering with eating disorder is hugely detrimental to their physical and to their mental health. And that unfortunately is what is happening currently is that is that people are continuing to suffer because they can't access the necessary services and that's why i think that these hubs are so extraordinarily important because if you catch the eating disorder early enough uh, before it can very before it can bury very deep into a person's psyche then you can save them a lot of years of their life and this, and potentially save their lives totally it seems that the government and the hse know what needs to be in place so when is this going to happen yeah, everyone said that it will take the right priority, adequate funding and the full implementation of the model of care. And this was originally a five year plan, according to Harriet Parsons of Bodywise, who is part of the National Clinical Programme for Eating Disorders Oversight Group, and they're responsible for delivery of the model of care. However, due to a lack of funding progressing for the first few years, as well as COVID and the cyber attack, Parsons says that it's delayed by at least two years, which puts this well into 2025 instead of the original next year. So one of the key issues is that the HSE has invested less than one third of available funding in specialist teams since 2016. 
And Minister Butler did tell me that an additional five new specialist teams would be developed from this year's ring fence funding, bringing the total to 11. But with the three that she promised last year still not operating, many I spoke to, including Carrot Ireland, a group of parents and carers, questioned if the minister is treating eating disorders with the urgency needed for this crisis. Thanks, Maria. It's clear there is a significant body of work yet to be done in this area, and it's something we will be monitoring closely here at Noteworthy and at the Journal. A special thanks from us all at Noteworthy to everyone who allowed us to feature their experiences and voices on today's podcast. If you need to speak to someone, you can contact the Bodywise helpline on 01 201 7906. You can visit bodywise.ie for its opening hours or email alex at bodywise.ie for support. The Samaritans run a 24-hour listening service, which you can call for free on 116-123, and Chiland can be contacted anytime on 1-800-66-6666. You've been listening to this bonus episode of The Explainer, brought to you by Noteworthy.ie. It was produced by Laura Byrne and Maria Delaney. If you want to learn more about our work at Noteworthy and how we source our stories from you, our readers and listeners, head to our site at noteworthy.ie and sign up to our newsletter, which gives you an insider look at the latest investigations by visiting noteworthy.ie forward slash newsletter. Thanks for having us and see you next time.